I love to read. And Book of the Month is a curated book subscription that offers five new and early release books to choose from each month. It's a great way to branch out into new genres or styles, and so many members say they wouldn't have tried something new if it weren't for their featured books. And guess what? With the code B-O-T-M-X-R-M, your first month's book is just $9.99. It's commitment-free, and you can skip any month you want as many times as you want. So get out there, get reading. You couldn't pick a better time to get your new book of the month. Hi, everyone. It's Rebecca. You're listening to Superwomen. Today's guest is Samantha DiGennaro, the founder of DiGennaro Communications. She has an incredible story about the early life of being in PR, what it takes to stay relevant, stay current, stay fresh, and has an incredible business sense. So take a listen. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. So nice to meet you, Rebecca, and I am forever your fan. (laughs) So I actually found out about you because I read... Uh, well, we were both at can, but you said something that you felt like equality in the first world, in sorry, equality in first world countries like France is something that is still lacking. And I was like, uh-oh. And I wanted to, I heard this, I read the story, but I'd love you to tell me about what happened. Yeah. And I'd be so curious to hear whether you had any similar experiences I'll start by saying I'm a huge Francophile, and with all due respect to the French people in the country of France, I just, I was really disappointed as somebody who's worked really, really hard and built a business and designed a life from nothing to get to the point where I am a business owner and entrepreneur and entertaining clients and a lot of highly successful clients while I was on this business trip in in Cannes. Cannes, France, I was very disappointed that in so many of the restaurants and just hospitality organizations, that the natural proclivity seemed to be to address the male people who were part of my party. In situations where I was actually the hostess, I was the one who had invited people out to eat, etc. It went to the point where At one of the restaurants that we were at, which was, you know, a five-star Michelin or just a a really good restaurant, I was the only woman at the table, and I was handed a menu without any prices next to the line items, next to the food. And I was confused. I was like, I wonder how much this costs, but whatever, it didn't matter. And I later found out as we were talking and as somebody made a joke that there was like a, a $750 beluga caviar option on the on the menu I said to myself how do you know and he said well the price was right there and we went around the table and it turned out all the men had seen prices they were all my guests and I hadn't and it was simple examples like that that really made me think to myself wow we are first world nations and we feel like we've come a long way but there really is still some gender inequality I didn't experience what you experienced at Cannes, but what I did notice, I was like, there are far more men here than women uh, at this, you know, mostly advertising companies, and that's a problem. Mm. And probably more male speakers than female speakers, more male attendees than female attendees. It was, that was what stuck out to me as like, yes, this is a problem. And the interesting thing is, and you mentioned that this particular conference caters to the ad industry, in the ad industry itself, the majority of people in the industry are, in fact, 
women. But as is true in much of corporate America, as you get to the upper ranks, it's primarily men. Right. So at a conference like that, that's it's a big ticket conference. It's expensive to go to. It's international travel. It's oftentimes people in senior management who get sent. And if you observe that there were more men there or that it seemed that there, I don't know the data points, but if it seems there are more men, my guess is that's why. Yeah. So before we get too deep, I do want our listeners to know what you have founded, DeGenero Communications. Um, will you tell us a little bit about what it is and who your some of your clients are? Sure, sure. We are a PR and marketing communications agency. We're based in New York and have offices throughout the U.S. and some some internationally as well. And we do business-to-business marketing and public relations primarily for clients in the media, marketing, entertainment, and tech spaces. Our clients range from Facebook and Instagram to Spotify and Pandora to Refinery29 and everywhere in between. And those are some names you've likely heard of, and there are some names you've arguably never heard of, and they've hired us to help make them more more famous and more visible in the public eye. So when you say B2B, that's business to business, what does that even mean? What that means is in most cases, we're working with a founder or a CEO or the the C-suite, the executive ranks at the company to help build their brands, their personal brands or the company's brand in the eyes of the press. And that's business press. That's not the the glossies, the uh, the glamours, the, that's Claire, not Allure. what you're. Yeah, right. that's probably not your world. It's um, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, CNBC, Fox Business Network, and and then big conferences around the world. We work with executives on their social media uh, footprints and and their own social branding. And anything about how an exec like you gets represented out in the business world. So what, so being that you represent a lot of these companies and there are a lot of men at the helm of these companies, what would you say is something that you could tell women to start acting and being like to get start, start breaking through to, to get into those positions? Wow, that's a tough one. And here's why. I think that there's a lot of expectation in the business world that a woman has to act like a man mm-hmm. and adopt male and gendered characteristics and traits to actually succeed. And I'd argue that it's just the opposite. My word of wisdom would be to be authentic and If you want to climb a corporate ladder and make it to the top, always have a voice. Never quash your voice and don't be afraid to stand up for what you believe in and to speak your truth and to honor your truth. And guess what? It may get you in trouble. Might get you fired. It may get you fired. That happened to me once. I was a little bit too, I I shouldn't say fired, but I was basically practically pushed out of a job because I spoke up for what I believed in and I did not want to pander to corporate politics. And in fact, that's why my company exists today. I, I just, I got so sick of having to put on the good face and, and pretend that I was being treated equally to the men who had similar roles and 
similar experience and and I wasn't necessarily and I I sort of got sick of it and here I am today with a successful business. So there's a silver lining in everything. Totally. And so you did that in 2006. Yes. You got pushed out. What was that like, A, getting pushed out and then going, I'm going to start my own company and then all the uh, fear that can come from doing that? Yep. Fair enough. And it wasn't a, a flat out push out. It was, I was getting pushed out and I decided to take the bull by the horns and go and have a conversation with HR and see if I could work work an exit out of it, which actually worked to my and benefit as well. What was it like? It was an incredibly scary and on some hand debilitating time in my life, while at the same time an incredibly hopeful and exhilarating time in my life. And it was I was very conflicted because I had given a lot of love. There's one thing about me. I bring love and care and passion sincerely to everything I do and to the people for whom I've worked in my career and who now work for me and our clients. And I had given so much of myself to this company. And it was only within the last year of an eight-year tenure there that I felt like politics were starting to bite me in the ass, for lack of a better word. And um, that was scary. And that was really, really deflating. And before I get to answering your actual question about fear, I'll tell you that the interesting thing is that there was one person who really changed the paradigm for me within my former company and made me feel like I was getting bitten in the ass. And it happened to be a woman. And she has since years later apologized and explained what in her perception went on in our relationship at the time. But it's just, it's one of these examples of, aren't we supposed to have each other's backs? We're already at some sort of a disadvantage. Shouldn't we have each other's backs? And that's been a real, real core value for me and my business. We've got each other's backs, and I look out for the young women and nurture them, et cetera. But to go back to your question about fear, yeah, it was incredibly scary to leave a big corporate job with a nice paycheck and a big expense account and the resources of a global organization and everything that comes with that, and to go out on my own. And I worked through it by just believing that I could always, worst came to worst, I could always go back to the big corporate job. There would still be another one of those. And that, knowing that I had some sort of a fallback should I need it, helped me stay true to my course and really kick my business off. And the rest is history because the business has taken off and been such a wonderful ride and journey since then. Not always easy, as I'm sure you know. Definitely not easy. Especially as a female entrepreneur and, and, you know, a a one person, single person entrepreneur, I, I feel like the stakes are so much higher than when it's a group of people coming together uh, to start a business with lots of people, or frankly, when there are men in the mix. I, I just, I feel like there were moments in time when perhaps, I don't know this for a fact, but perhaps I wasn't taken as seriously um, as a business leader, owner, and founder. But I'm 
that's so far behind me and that's so in the past that it is what it is. So you mentioned that, you know, you definitely feel that there's obviously not enough of us and that we should be working together, not uh, against each other. How does that change your leadership style with your team? Well, I've always been an athlete. I was an athlete through all of high school, college, et cetera. So teamwork is just a huge core value for me personally and in business. And I set that expectation from the top down and expected to travel from the bottom back up that that we are a team, we work as one and we've got each other's backs. And I say that, but I also try to demonstrate it. Right. I say that and I lead that way, but then I have people, we have almost 90 of us and I'd say 10 are men, so 80 women. Sometimes I see still throwing each other under the bus, still whatever, mean girls. And I'm like, wait, how can I be saying this? And then it's not filtering down. So do you ever see that occurring? And then what do you do, if anything? Yeah, it's really tough. And I will tell you, I was fortunate enough for many years to not feel like we had any sort of mean girl stuff going on. And in the recent past, there have been a few times that I have been, that stuff has gotten back to me that people have said about me that's been incredibly, incredibly hurtful. And I really do care about my team, about everything I do. So when I feel like people are saying mean things, it, it's it's tough because I'm, I'm a leader. I lead with the heart and I lead with emotion, which not everybody knows how to, to process or deal with. I don't know that I've got an answer other than to continue to say that my door is open if anyone ever has an issue with me, with the company, with anything. I want to hear how we can improve. I welcome and invite people to come chat with me. And truth be told, Rebecca, I mean, 98% of the team and my company historically for the 13 years we've been in business has gone smoothly. I think in, in the ebbs and troughs of any company's lifestyle, there's going to be like that moment in time where there is either a mean girl or just a mean person scenario. Yep. And what my advisors have said to me is just don't take it personally. Right. Don't take it personally. That's that learn from it. So I guess that's what I try to do, learn from it and try to stay true to myself and just be a good person and a kind person at every opportunity. Like that that's the value that I always try to live by. Yeah. No one's perfect, but that is the value I always try to live by. I used to gather if there was a mean girl scenario, I used to gather them all into a room and I almost feel like how I talk to my children, like you're not going to fight and you're not going to fight and you're going to be nice to each other. Like sometimes I find myself doing that. I'm like, what is happening? But I think when you get, when you don't have the glass ceiling, right, within your company of men versus women, I, I like to talk about sometimes these issues that come up because then it's like, wait, we're all in the same boat, but guess what? It's a different set of rules that starts to happen. So changing that is a whole other Phase two, right? Absolutely. So you work with many Fortune 500 companies. Um, do you feel a sense of a lot of, you know, the people that you represent are male? Do you feel a sense of helping to get them to push for more female equality or put more female programming in or, or other things to, to start tilting things more into a balance? 
I think the most we can do with the Fortune 500s we work with is counsel and advise. At the end of the day, the companies are going to do what they're going to do. And most of the decisions about the direction that they take, the messaging they put out, et cetera, comes from within. But we, we always do our best to advise about sensitivity, about diversity, about the importance of inclu- just diversity and inclusion and um, ensuring that voices are heard, respected, listened to, and dignified from everywhere. But at the end of the day, the companies really do drive their own, their own decisions. Right. I'd love to talk about the way in which the PR industry is changing. I've watched it go from, you know, one email from Daily Candy changed my entire life, right, that used to get in your inbox or being on the cover of a magazine, you'd sell 10,000 units of something to almost the world being flat and everything is everywhere all at once and accessible and you don't really have the Oprah effect anymore. How has it changed for you and what have you had to evolve to do differently? It's changed in so many ways. I mean, I started in the industry in the early 90s in an era where, like, you sent a fax to a journalist to pitch a story. And now, I mean, forget about the fax machine. Now you barely have real time. We're plugged in 24-7, 365, the news cycle is every minute, every day, nonstop. And we may think we've got the best story in the world that's going to go to the Wall Street Journal. I'm just throwing that out there. And the next thing we know, it's leaked and it's on Twitter. It's coming out in 140 characters on Twitter. And I think the sheer pace, the volume of communication... And the way in which people communicate has changed so much. Just it's changed the whole landscape for public relations, for social media, for marketing, et cetera. And it's an always on world. And what I've noticed is that there are a lot of, particularly with younger millennial talent, and I don't know if you find this within your business, but I'm a Gen Xer. I was taught to really like go above and beyond always. You never leave the office before your boss. You uh, you work weekends, you work nights, et cetera, and you do it because that's the work ethic. And what I notice with some of the younger talent, amazing people, bright people, capable people, much less tolerance for sort of the corporate work structure. And I've seen some people leave business simply because leave the business world leave leave the company simply because they wanted a change of lifestyle they wanted to take time off I think that's wonderful it's an entirely different world and I know I've just morphed the answer of the question from how is the landscape changing to sort of like how how are the people who are employed within the landscape changing but there are so many changes uh out there between the pace that we move at, the expectation that we've got to be always on. And I think what the output of that is, is that some people just decide this is too much. I need space. I need quality time. I need to be with my family. I need a break from corporate America. And that's changed so much of 
how we conduct business. So as you have a whole company and you have huge clients, how have you sort of said, I have to evolve? How am I going to evolve? I didn't answer that part of your question initially. I apologize. That's okay. So it's not just straight up what we call in the industry, straight up earned media. Earned media is getting coverage in a newspaper or magazine, for example. PR now has become a lot of their marketing dollars involved. There are sponsorships. There's native content. So for the client who desperately wants the cover of Vogue but can't get in, there might be native content where you can put some dollars behind it and still tell the story that you want to tell in a way that's not as boldly pushed a message as advertising is. The content is integrated within the magazine, but it's still helping to tell your story and push your message. There are also, I mean, there are huge opportunities through what we call owned channels, which are anything from social media channels to blogs to your website, even marketing newsletters, etc. And those are all elements of PR that in the earlier days when I started in the industry weren't part of the program. I would also say events, live events. I think in a day and age, and back to the question of how how have things changed and evolved, in a day and age where everybody seems to be hiding behind a screen and the types of relationships between, for example, PR people and reporters that were built over a cup of coffee or a lunch or a a cocktail even many years ago at real face-to-face sit-across-the-table-from-you relationships, those relationships have become more transitory and those relationships have become more transactional. It feels to me in these days, a lot of people are hiding behind screens. A lot of journalists like need to be direct messaged or need to be tweeted at um, because there's just so much email flooding their inbox. And with all of that changing, one of the things that we've done to evolve is to really focus on how to take the experience offline and into live events, how to break through the clutter of all the messages that happen on a computer, behind a screen, et cetera, and start um, either placing our clients on conferences, uh, on in speaking engagements, the conference circuit, et cetera, or just creating bespoke salons and events. Content and thought leadership are way more important than they ever were in the past. Really positioning executives as subject matter experts on any sort of a subject, whether it's fashion, whether it's retail, whether it's the changing shape of luxury, whatever it may be, that's that's more important than it was 10 and 15 years ago at this time when PR was probably focused more on just telling the story of the organization and its leaders. I would love to talk about as a woman, as a CEO and founder, you've obviously had to make sacrifices in some areas of your life, whether it is family or sanity or sleep. What are some of the things? Because I think we don't talk about this enough, right? Everyone thinks that what they see on Instagram and it looks perfect, but they don't know about the day you've had or the night you had. What are some of those 
the biggest sacrifice for me. And, you know, I've designed a life that's very, very full and rich and wonderful. And I've got so many interests and stuff that I do. The single biggest sacrifice is that I put my business and that life and that lifestyle and travel and all the other stuff I love before creating a family of my own. And that's been very hard. At first, it didn't matter. When I was in my 30s, it didn't matter because I just, I had all this amazing stuff going on and I had an amazing boyfriend and I just, I didn't really think about it. And now I'm at a point in my upper 40s and I happen to be single right now, just recently, and I'm doing a lot of introspection and I'm like, wow, I actually want to be a mom. I, I, I do. And at age 48, running a business, traveling and doing all this other stuff, I've made a sacrifice. And now I have to figure out how to catch up, so to speak. And it, it's not as easy, I'd imagine, um, at age 48 as it would have been at age 38. But interestingly, I don't know that my life would be in, a, in the place that it's in for all the other amazing and wonderful elements of it had I chased the start the family 10 years ago at this time. But that's why I really and sincerely have such respect for my peers and counterparts who found a way to do it all. Because, And I'm sure there are sacrifices that everybody makes. But There's sacrifice. Yeah. It's the same where you go, oh, if I had not had that or not chased the kids and the family, I could have done all these. You know, you almost look at I look in my industry at the male designers, right, who don't have the families and can mm -hmm. go out all night and work out, you know, not work out, work all night or yeah. go be in the right mix at all times. And they're just always going to be ahead because they don't have this pull to, I got to get home at six, you know, I got to make dinner. I mean, that's my choice to make dinner, but I, I enjoy it. So I think it's, it's both sides. I do wonder, I think that's totally fair. I agree with that point. I wonder like with language, like they're always going to get ahead. Part of me feels like that. And part of me feels like what we as women have to do is start changing the narrative. Totally. They're not always going to get ahead. You know what? We've got equal, we've got to take the bull by the horns. We've got to support each other. And, and it goes back to your original point of how do we support each other? It's not just about supporting the, the women who work for us and the young women rising up through the ranks and, and our friends. It's how do we as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as leaders really get each other's back and it's backs and it's more of a rhetorical question probably but totally. we can do that like together we can do this. we can totally do it with our village <laughs> there, you, there you have it and starting to change the narrative yep. and believing totally so I always like to ask this question of my guests um, something that we would be surprised to know about you I am Catholic, although I, I'm not a, a religious person, and I'm Italian. I'm 100% Italian, and my parents were both educators, and they believed in education more than religion, and it just so happened that in the neighborhood I grew up in, for nursery school, kindergarten sort of age, the temple was the better school, the, the better education than, like, the local Catholic school, etc., and so... My parents sent me to Temple 
for nursery school and basically from like ages two and a half to five or whatever it was. And I was the Gentile among the group. And I was, in fact, in the Purim play, Queen Esther. (laughs) And um, not everybody may understand what that means. But for me, as like an Italian who's two generations ago, grandparents like came off of boats from Italy through Ellis Island. It's I just it's one of those little unknown facts that I love that. I call it Jewish. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. my husband. He's Jewish. Oh, that's hysterical. And you know what? In New York, I grew up in New York, born and bred, and I feel like in New York, Jewish and Italian are one of the same. <laughs> Very are, similar. Yeah. So. <laughs> so then lastly, what I also ask everybody is any piece of advice. Um, you know, I really want our listeners to come away with something that they can change about their day, their week, their year from this podcast. So if you had um, any last words. Yeah, well, any piece of advice, I would say that we as women oftentimes try to do it all and a lot falls on our plates. I know that's a broad general, uh, a broad generalization, no pun intended. That was a really bad pun. Um, but I would say to fiercely and impeccably prioritize and to, and this is something I've had to really work on myself because I try, I'm a very accessible person. That's part of my management style. And I try to truly be available and accessible to the people who need me, ask for me, et cetera. But I spread myself thin as a result. I would say to fiercely prioritize, not be afraid to say, I just can't get to this today, or I just can't do this. And here's why. Back it up with a here's why and and some reasoning so it doesn't just feel like a gratuitous blow off. And, And to create time and space for yourself. I've got rituals in my life. I make sure that I, when I'm in town, I get a massage once a week. That's important to me. I I take a bath every night. Silly little things, but things that keep me grounded and calm, create that space, create those rituals and take care of yourself. Um, Because if we're not taking care of ourselves, we won't be able to take care of the people around us who need that from us. I love that. Sam DeGennaro, thank you so much. Rebecca Minkoff, I am forever a fan (laughs) and thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That was Samantha DeGennaro. You can find out more about her by heading to her website, DeGennaro Communications. Thank you so much for listening. As always, don't forget to rate me wherever you listen to a podcast, leave a review. I do read them all. 